Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. The legend, Vin Scully, with me live in a half hour on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Talk about everything from Jackie Robinson to Clayton Kershaw, because he has seen everything from Jackie Robinson to Clayton Kershaw. And so we'll do all of that and have a lot. I'm just really looking forward to talking with him. I'm looking forward to talking with him a lot more than I'm looking forward to talking about the train wreck that was Thursday Night Football last night on behalf of all of us who are connected to the Jets in any way, even though my connection is merely my fandom. I apologize to America. A terrible game that was in every conceivable way. And the Jets were bad, and they, they added to being bad by being dumb, and they added to being dumb by being dirty. So that's just about as disgraceful as could ever possibly imagine. And it leaves the coach after the game. I, I, I could never feel bad. Look, if you, 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 all of us in life make decisions. We are a product of all the decisions that we make, the choices that we make. And if you want to be an NFL head coach, this is part of what comes with it. But even I will grant Adam Gase that this is a very tough question to have to try to answer. Listen to this. Adam, what would you say to fans who don't want to see you be the coach of this team past tonight? Oh, I know. <laughs> you know cut off the answer, the Bubba. Right. Just cut, what, what does it matter what he says? It makes no difference what he says to that. What difference does it make? He answered the question. That's fine. I don't have any issue with that. You know what? To be completely honest with you, I'm done with the firing of gay stuff. All right? And anyone who has been paying attention to me for the last couple of weeks, you know where I stand. I did the essay a couple of weeks ago that people still walk up to me in the street and talk about all the time. So believe me, I'm on record as saying that Adam Gase is a terrible football coach and he has done a terrible job coaching the Jets. But you know what I'm getting a little sick of? I'm getting sick of firing coaches. I'm getting sick of rooting for a franchise that is rudderless. Just keep moving things around because you don't really have any confidence or any conviction in any of the decisions that you make. Do you know the Pittsburgh Steelers have had three head coaches since 1969? The start of next year, the Jets will have had three head coaches since 2018, at least, because there'll probably be an interim one at some point this year. That's a rudderless ship. Since Woody Johnson bought the Jets in 2000, the next coach will be their sixth head coach. Twice as many coaches in one third as many years as the Steelers in that time. And that's why the Steelers are the gold standard, the black and gold standard of pro football. And the Jets are a laughing stock, which is what they are. So you can fire Adam Gase. They're going to fire him. It doesn't make any difference if they fire him this week, next week, in four weeks, in eight weeks, or wait till after the season. It doesn't matter. The Jets are terrible, and they're going to be terrible all year, no matter who their coach is. And and the biggest part of the reason for that is because their roster is atrocious. They have fewer good players than anybody. And my concern all along has been about the development of the quarterback, but this isn't even about because it actually goes above him. It goes to the franchise. It goes to the people running it who don't know what they're doing. And nothing changes until that does. Because the truth of the matter is, this is the same franchise that just over a year ago allowed Mike McCagnan to spend all of their free agent dollars, run the draft, and then figured out two weeks later that they had to fire him immediately. That's the franchise we're talking about. That who, who could be surprised if they find themselves here now? A laughingstock on national television. With a game that the whole country is making fun of. They deserve that. And it's excruciating to watch, and I'm fed up with it. I'm tired. In fact, I'm so tired of it 
that I've reached the worst stage of fandom. Anger is not the worst stage of fandom. Sadness is not the worst stage of fandom. Anxiety is not the worst stage of fandom. Indifference is the worst stage of fandom. And I'm feeling indifferent. Doesn't make any difference what they do. Doesn't matter. Because nothing is going to change. Because you just keep moving stuff around. To use the most overused cliche in the world, when the Titanic was sinking, you didn't worry about where the deck furniture was. Right? You know, there's not, not a whole lot of point in moving those chairs and umbrellas around. That's basically what they've been doing for at least the last 20 years. Anyway, uh, presented by Progressive's Home Insurance, get your quote at Progressive.com today. Something else that comes up with them quickly, and then I promise I will move on to other things. Because I felt bad this morning. I, I gave like 20 minutes of national television airtime to the Jets today who don't deserve two of them. But this has to be said. One of the conversations around them is if they go 0-16 or 1-15, which they certainly look like they're going to do, they'll be one of the teams in the sweepstakes to try to draft Trevor Lawrence. I myself have not in any way given up on Sam Darnold. But I will say the best thing that could happen to Sam Darnold would be if the Jets did that. Let him, let, let Trevor Lawrence be the next one on this hamster wheel, just running as fast as he can and getting nowhere, and let Darnold go someplace where they have a clue. Because Darnold is really good. Darnold has a chance to be a really good player. The fact that he is making the same mistakes, in fact, they're being compounded, that he is regressing, is the ultimate criticism. It is the ultimate um, mark of how badly he's being coached. He's not improving at all. You put him in the right place and he will. You put him in Kansas City, he's a star. You put Patrick Mahomes on the Jets, they're looking for their next quarterback. That's just the reality. So Mike Tannenbaum is on KJZ this morning. And they asked him, what should the Jets do in the event they wind up in a position to draft Trevor Lawrence? Here's what he said. I believe Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback to come out since Andrew Luck. He would have been taken over the last three number one picks, Baker Mayfield, Kyle Murray, and Joe Burrow. So from that standpoint, I think you're looking at greatness in a much more certain aspect with Trevor Lawrence. And with Sam Darnold, he may be good. I don't know if he'll be great. So uh, at this point, Sam Darnold is just trying to get find some way to stay afloat. As far as Trevor Lawrence is concerned, Trevor Lawrence has a whole other year of college after this one if he wants it. Trevor Lawrence has two years of eligibility left. He's got this one and another. And I'm old enough to remember a time when Peyton Manning could have come out of Tennessee and chose to stay in school. Do you know who had the number one pick in the draft that year? The Jets did. Do you think that's a coincidence? I never have. I've never asked Peyton that question. And I don't think it's the only reason he went back to Tennessee. But I don't think it hurt. If the Jets wind up with the first pick in the draft, just watch what Trevor Lawrence does. Just watch. Just see what happens. Sam Darnold is by no means the problem. Sam Darnold is the closest thing the Jets have to the solution. But they're not making it look that way, and it isn't going to get any better. So here's the reality of it. I will love this team forever because that's who I am. You don't lose that because your attachment to your team, if you're like me, and I know you are because you wouldn't be listening to me if you weren't, your attachment to your team is much more about you than it is about them. Your attachment to your team comes from a lifetime of memories. It comes from growing up all of my life and caring about this, from getting dressed in, in like every single article of clothing that we had in my house to go to December games with my dad, who always said, no matter what happens, you stay till the end of the game if you're a real fan. So we would sit there until the very end when they were losing 31-3 to to Oakland on December 14th. 
and, and, and there were still eight minutes left in the game, but we weren't leaving, even if everybody else was. So that's how far I go back, and that's where I'll be for the rest of my life, however long that is. I will continue to root for this team. It's just a part of my DNA. My son is doing it now. Upstairs, miserable last night. <laughs> miserable. But the truth of the matter is you have to call it the way you see it. And you can't run an organization worse than this one is being run right now. So unless something of consequence changes, this isn't getting better. You can fire Gase if you want to. It really don't make any difference. You fire Adam Gase, go bring someone else in. Let the general manager hire somebody. Okay, great. So the general manager's hired somebody. So you're not getting one of these people that everyone wants. If there are a whole bunch of job openings out there, someone will offer, let's just say for the sake of argument, Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney were going to be a, 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 a package deal. I don't know that they are. I don't know that at all. I've, I've not spoken to, to, to Dabo Sweeney in years. I have no idea when he is going to make the jump to the NFL. But people around us tell us all the time, someday they foresee him going to, to the NFL. When he goes, he's going someplace where they're going to let him be in charge of stuff. Well, you're not getting that if you already have a general manager in place. They just keep hiring and firing people, leave this guy in place, then bring this one, and then get rid of him, but leave this one, and then put the... It, it's never-ending. It's a never-ending cycle. It's never getting better. There is no, nothing better than this in the foreseeable future. So this is what we have been reduced to. This is what we were stuck with last night, and this is not getting better anytime soon. And those will be the last words I say about this for a very long time because I have far more important things to deal with with teams and players and organizations that deserve a lot more attention. Like Vince Scully, one of the greatest, no, not one of, not one of anything, the greatest announcer in the history of sports, will join me live in 20 minutes. So I'm really looking forward to that. Greeny, the podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply it's demon time on prize picks where you can now win up to 100 times your money that's right 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app go to prizepicks.com slash greenberg and use code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com slash greenberg code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 prize picks pick more pick less it's that easy in the meantime let me give you a couple of my picks for this sunday's games colts bears is a very interesting one to me I think the Bears, we had 
Rob Ninkovich this morning on my show predict that the Bears are going to wind up winning the NFC North. I think that's a bit far. But for all my friends there in Chicago, Waddle and Sylvie and everybody else, I think you're understating the, the possibilities this team has in front of it. If you could sort of buy a couple of wins until you made the quarterback change, that feels real good. And if the Bears win this game against a good but not great Indianapolis team, then all of a sudden the makings of a special season I think are in place. And I don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I like the Bears on a late field goal, 23-20, to beat the Colts this weekend. Chargers, Bucks, Tampa Tom's Bucks are beat up. They'll play this game without Chris Godwin. They'll play it without Leonard Fournette. I think it's an interesting game, and I like what we've seen so far from Justin Herbert. He started two games. He's thrown for 300 yards in both of them. I found a little note that I like. Justin Herbert, the day he was born, Tom Brady could have celebrated with a beer because he's 21 years older. I do like Tampa Bay. I think they're going to keep getting better and better, and they have enough depth that they will overcome the guys they're losing. Give me Tampa 30-17. to 17. What other games do I, did I want to do in here? Oh, Browns and Cowboys. That, to me, is a really good game. And it, it's the second most interesting game of the weekend after Patriots-Chiefs. I think the Browns are going to win. I think the Browns are going to win because I think they're going to put the Cowboys in a place where they have to be perfect. And if there's one thing we've seen from Dallas and their offense, their offense is explosive. Their offense is very good, but they don't thrive in situations where they have to be perfect. And I think Cleveland is going to run the ball down their throat. If Cleveland runs the ball for 200 yards, which that that to me is the over under. The Browns run the ball for under 199 and a half. I think the Cowboys win, but I think the Browns will run it on them. And the Browns will run it on them, and I think they will win this game by a field goal as well. And then one more. To me, clearly, the game of the weekend is Patriots-Chiefs. You cannot stop Patrick Mahomes. You can only hope to contain him, and Belichick will. Belichick will contain him as much as he can be contained. When these teams met a year and a half ago, I've said it before, I'll say it again. New England ran 94 plays, and Kansas City ran 47. That's what they're going to try to do to Mahomes this weekend. I'll take KC to win the game, but I would not give the points. I'll take the Chiefs 31-30. I think Cam Newton's going to have a very big day. If you're a fantasy player, I would look in his direction, and I would not be shocked, would not be shocked, if the Patriots win this game Sunday. I'm Greeny. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today and find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Okay, again, I will take a short break, but coming up next... The most legendary voice in sports history will join me. Don't miss Vin Scully live right after this. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. 
Now streaming on Hulu. The voice is unmistakable. Vin Scully will join me live in just a moment. I am Greeny with you here and delighted that you're spending some time with me presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today. Find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Again, we will have Vin Scully with us in a moment. And I've said many times that it is difficult to put into words the relationship that a fan can have with a baseball announcer. All the sports are wonderful, and baseball isn't even my favorite sport necessarily. But that relationship, based upon the daily nature of it and the fact that all of the games, for the most part, are broadcast locally or regionally as opposed to nationally, you just develop a relationship that is different than you have, I think, with any other announcer. So I've said many times, for me, baseball will always sound like Phil Rizzuto's voice. And then I went to Chicago, and I discovered Harry Carey. And I've said many times, Harry Carey was my first friend in Chicago, even though I never met him. And so I know the way people feel after the career that this man had. He called 25 World Series, 12 All-Star Games, three perfect games, 20 no-hitters. You just heard his call of Kirk Gibson's legendary home run in the 88 World Series. He called Hank Aaron's 715th home run. When he began broadcasting Dodger baseball, gasoline cost 27 cents a gallon. A postage stamp cost three cents. And minimum wage was 75 cents per hour in this country. It is my honor to welcome on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line the one and only Vin Scully to ESPN Radio. Vin, thank you so much for taking this time. I hope you're feeling well today. Mike, I feel fine. Thank you for asking. And I trust you are the same. I am. Thank you. Today, four years to the day since Vin Scully broadcast his last Dodger game. And it it is really such a treat for me. I can't tell you the reaction that I'm getting from people when I told them you were going to be with me. So let's go through as much as we can in the time that we have. And I'd like to start at the very beginning. I I mentioned that you began your broadcasting career in 1950 in Brooklyn. What what are your, as you look back on it now, your fondest recollections of those earliest days for you in Brooklyn? Well, we had a relationship in the broadcast booth that I don't believe we'll ever see again. In essence, Red Barber was the father. Connie Desmond was the older brother. And I was the kid brother. And uh, thank goodness, both Red and Connie made sure that I would uh, get through it without making too many gaps or mistakes. And once in a while, because he really cared that I would succeed, Red Barber would treat me like a father and son relationship so that he would correct me after the game, not on the air. Uh, I'll always remember doing my first season. I mentioned that Willie Mays was the uh, finest or greatest ball player I ever saw. And when the broadcast ended, Red said, young Scully, he said that you have not been around long enough to tell us, (laughs) the greatest ball player you ever saw. And immediately I was chastened and realized he was correct. And then Connie being the older brother, and he would say, Oh, come on, you're fine. You're doing great. Let, let, you know, so it was a, a remarkable atmosphere. And I don't think you'll ever see or hear 
that again. It's an extraordinary story. In your very first game, Jackie Robinson was hitting cleanup. And Vin, in light of the climate in this country right now, he seems especially relevant, maybe as much so as practically ever. When you think of him today, of Jackie Robinson, what do you think of? Well, I think of an outstanding ball player. I can see that big smile and laugh. I remember we ice skated, or at least he was going to try, up in Grossinger's in New York. That's a famous resort. And uh, interesting little bit of a story. Uh, We were both sent up there to talk to the patronage at Grossinger's about baseball. It was uh, an idea to promote fans and anyway to stir interest. And I arrived being a New Yorker kid raised in ice skating in the winter. I carried my skates. Jackie and his wife Rachel arrived. Rachel was about seven months pregnant. And Jack said, uh, oh, you're going to go skating? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I'll go with you. I said, well, fine. (laughs) So Jackie and I went into the dressing room. Meanwhile, Rachel, at seven months pregnant, went with the lady to get her skates, and I was scared to death about her. Anyway, Jackie and I are sitting alongside of each other, putting on our skates. And Jackie, out of the blue, suddenly said to me, Vinny, when we go out there, I'll race you. And I was shocked, and I looked at Jackie, and I said, Jack, you're from Southern California, a football star, baseball star, great athlete. I never knew you skated. And he said, I've never been on skates in my life. And I said, well, there's no way that you could beat me. And he said, no, but that's how I learned. The competitive spirit inside that man was truly remarkable. And we were good friends. Interesting for me, my first game to broadcast was in Philadelphia. The Dodgers opened that year. And during spring training, I got to know Don Newcomb very well, God rest his soul. And uh, Nuke was going to pitch that game. And I would say to him, come on, Don, really be ready for my debut. I want you to strike out everybody. And, of course, with that big belly laugh, he'd laugh. And uh, so before the game, Red assigned me, we'll say the fourth inning. And I said, great. And and then I was thinking, I'm going to broadcast Don Newcomb's first game. What a treat this is. Newcomb was knocked out of the game before we got to my <laughs> inning. So, uh, and we gagged about that ever since. I mean, that was a running gag with uh, Newcomb and myself. The unmistakable, legendary voice of Vin Scully with me. He is now on Twitter. Everyone in the world should be following Vin Scully, who is on Twitter at the Vin Scully. Let me ask you, if I may, the impossible questions that I'm sure you are asked literally every single day. And we'll start with this one. What is the greatest game, in your opinion, the greatest game you ever called? The greatest game I ever called, probably because of the significance of it, a perfect game in the World Series. I don't know how you can top that very often. Uh, Koufax's perfect game was a magnificent spectacle where uh, the Dodgers only had one hit against Bob Hanley. But I guess for someone to pitch a perfect game on the World Series, it can't get much better than that. Although, when MLB began to broadcast, 
the very first thing they did, their opening telecast, was that World Series game pitched by Don Larson. And I was watching football in the late fall, and I knew that game was going to come on, and I had never seen it. And so I figured out when it would start and when it would be the time where the great Mel Allen would hand it over to me. And I went back to the baseball, and sure enough, it was the middle of the fifth inning, and Mel handed it to me, and I thought, oh, great. I'm going to be able to listen because I'd never heard it before. And the telecast began for me, and it was so dull, it was excruciating to me. (laughs) Because in those days, the newspaper people constantly badgered announcers saying that they talked too much. So uh, Mel and I not all barely talked on the air. We also did not say anything about the fact that a perfect game was evolving. Uh, I guess it started with Mel because in the first four and a half innings, he referred not to a no-hitter, but so that's the 10th consecutive out, the 11th consecutive. So when I got Mm -hmm. it, I certainly deferred to the great Mel Allen, and I continued that that's the 18th consecutive, the 19th. (laughs) And meanwhile, the camera work was not as sophisticated as it is today. And you basically had one shot, and that was uh, the mound and the hitter in Yankee Stadium, for instance. And to be honest, I thought the broadcast was so dull that I turned it off and went back to football. My goodness, Vin Scully is with me. I have a suspicion others might feel differently, but it is thrilling to hear you or, or fascinating to hear you say that. Continuing the impossible questions, uh, you got in trouble in your first, first broadcast, you said, for naming Willie Mays as the greatest player you'd ever seen. Now, if I were to ask you, I think you were more than equipped to answer. Who is the greatest player you ever saw? Well, I would still say Willie Mays, but again, <laughs> remember, I grew up watching the National League I worked the National League. We didn't have interleague play. I realized that there were great players, especially Joe DiMaggio and uh, the other numbers that were put up by Mickey Mantle probably equate to the same, if not even slightly better than Mays. But because of Mantle's injury to his leg, I think he stepped in a drainage, something in Yankee Stadium and From then on, he couldn't cover the ground that he normally could. But Mays was spectacular every day he played. And I just thought, in my humble opinion, because there are certainly many great players, but I thought that uh, all around, the threat of a home run, a base hit, a stolen base, a great catch, a great throw, uh, all of that defined Willie Mays. And one other thing about Mays that, always struck me when I was in school trying to play baseball at Fordham I I played center field and of course my big concern was charging a base hit and having it go through my legs and go all the way to the center field fence and I always watched big league center fielders especially and when the Dodgers played in the polo grounds It was, I believe, 483 feet away from the base of the clubhouse to home plate. 
and every outfielder I ever saw was a little, what would be the right word, almost timid about a base hit getting through him and rolling all the way to eternity. Willie Mays played center field like he was a shortstop. There was not a thought in his mind that the ball might get away from him or roll all the way to the center field clubhouse. Uh, And that struck me, too, as just part the overall picture of Mays as a great player. Vin Scully is with me. You can follow him on Twitter at the Vin Scully right now. You know, I, I opened this conversation uh, by saying that the relationship fans have with an announcer is such a special one. How would you describe that relationship in reverse? How would you describe the relationship that you had for all those years with them? I was quoted several times, and I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I often told the crowds that I needed you more than you needed me. And when I was retiring, the last week that I did games at Dodger Stadium, I had a sign made, and the sign draped over the wall of the clubhouse, uh, actually the broadcasting booth, and it just simply said, I'll miss you then. And that was my relationship with the fans. The last day of the season, uh, the Dodgers allowed me play a recording on the PA system, my singing, God bless us, of wind beneath my wings. I had made a recording about that dedicated to my wife, Sandy, and I just wanted the crowd to know how I felt. So on the last day of Scully at the Stadium, the crowd showed great patience. So did the team. They were bursting to celebrate but they stood quietly in the middle of the diamond and they played wind beneath my wings. The song that was for my wife, but on that particular day, I was dedicating it to the fans. It's beautifully said. I have limited time with you here, but I have have one last question. If I may, you know, Vince Scully, our nation is in a divided and at times disheartening place And I just wonder, over the many years, what role have you seen the game of baseball play historically during challenging times in our nation, and what role do you think it can play now? Well, that's asking a lot of me because, in some respect, despite broadcasting a lot of games, I live a very small, quiet life. All I know is that in Ebbets Field, and certainly here at Dodger Stadium, I've seen black and white players get along extremely well. They uh, have a shared experience of the game, and they each have a strong desire to win. And so I keep thinking to myself, please, God, uh, bring everyone in America together like the ballplayers are. Let them all agree we want to live happily and peacefully in this world, and let's just stop talking Let's stop protesting and setting fire to places. Somebody has to get leaders from either side to sit down and see if we can get along like a, a good baseball team does. You forget all about color when you're playing a game. You should be able to forget all about player living your days out in this world. 
Vince Cully, I, I can't begin to tell you how much it means to me that you took this time today. I know that your schedule remains busy, and, and I also I just can't tell you how much it meant to people to know that you were coming on and to hear your voice today and any day. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. The very best to you and to your family, and I hope we get to do it again sometime. Thank you, Mike. You've been very generous in your compliments, for which I really appreciate. And above all, it's been an honor to have a chance to chat with you. So God bless and continued success. To you, too. Thank you so much. Vin Scully with me, Greeny, here on ESPN Radio. Um, It's going to take me a moment to recover from that, um, and we will spend that moment together. I have a few minutes here, and we, we, we did was we set aside as much time as we possibly could for that, but the people who helped us arrange it uh, asked us to limit it to a certain amount of time, and, and so we were happy to do that. Uh, and again, Vin Scully is now on Twitter, and you can follow him at TheVinScully. Um, I began the conversation by telling you that the relationship that we can have with uh, baseball announcers in particular, maybe all sports announcers to some degree, but I think there's something unique about the baseball announcer because of the daily um, nature of the sport is just different than, than with almost any other relationship. And, you know, in my youth, when I was growing up in New York City, both of my parents are from the Bronx, and so we, the Yankee game was on in my house all the time. And so if you ask me to this day, now I'm 53 years old, what does baseball sound like? You know what baseball looks like. If you've ever been to a baseball game, you know what it smells like. Depending on where you are, maybe it feels some way to you. But I think for all of us, baseball sounds like something. For me, baseball sounds like Phil Rizzuto's voice, because I heard it all through my childhood in my house. And then, as I say, I moved to Chicago to go to college, and I didn't know anyone. And I quickly discovered that the um, I quickly discovered that the Chicago Cubs, who didn't have lights at Wrigley Field yet, this was 1985. They didn't get lights there till August 8th of 1988. Um, that they had an announcer. They played every afternoon on Channel Nine, and they had an announcer named Harry Carey, and he was the greatest thing that ever happened. Just listen to him talk. It didn't make any difference what was going on in the game. It barely made a difference that the game was going on at all. And so I loved him, and I, I frequently tell people that Harry Carey was my first friend in Chicago, even though I never met him in my life. And so if you think about it, for Vin Scully to do Dodger baseball from 1950 until 2016, to call 25 World Series, 12 All-Star Games, three perfect games, 20 no-hitters, to have been the voice of any franchise, much less that one, for that period of time, the number of lives he touched, the number of people out there who say, baseball sounds like Vince Scully. And frankly, could you do it better? I mean, listening to him is actually intimidating. Talking to him was actually intimidating. That's the first time I've ever spoken to him on the air. I did speak to him in person once. When I was working in Chicago, long after I was in college, I was working in Chicago and um, I had two roles at the radio station where I worked. One of them was I would provide reports from the games I'd be covering. And the other one, and probably the picture really more important one, was trying to get guests for the talk shows wherever I was. And I was covering a Cubs-Dodgers game at Wrigley Field. I remember where I was sitting. And we wanted to get Vince Scully on the, on the talk show. And so I positioned myself outside of the visitor's uh, broadcaster's booth and just waited for him to walk out like two hours before the game. I could see that he was in there and he was shaking hands. He knew everybody. This is a long time ago. He was 
and he wasn't a young man, but he was he was much younger than he is now. Obviously, this is probably 25 years ago, maybe more. And he came walking out. He looked fabulous. He had the jacket and the tie and the hair and the that voice. And I'll never forget how nice he was to me. I said, Mr. Scully, I'm Mike Greenberg. I work at this station. Absolutely. I am not going to try and do an imitation of the voice, but he, he came on the show. He came on the talk show. I handed him a piece of paper with a phone number and said, if you call this number, they'll put you on. And, and he called in and he did the talk show. So I did meet him once before, but this is the first time I've talked to him. And, and, um, you know, there is a connection to that. You know, when he talked about doing the games with Red Barber, I mean, Red Barber is an announcer that my father told me about because my father grew up listening to Red Barber. And so think about that connection. I'm 53. My dad, if he was alive, would be almost, it would be just about 90. And so that's, that's what it spans. His, his, his broadcasting career, he started doing games. Connie Mack was the manager of the Dodgers. Connie Mack was born during the Civil War. When Vince Scully started doing Dodger games, in his first game, the Dodgers' cleanup hitter was Jackie Robinson. In his last game, their cleanup hitter was Yasiel Puig. So that's an extraordinary life in the sport and beyond. And it was just an honor chance to chat with him. And I hope that everyone enjoyed that as much as I did and got as much out of it as I did. And there really is something to be said for during these unbelievably complicated times for hearing that voice. We'd all be a lot better off if Vince Scully was still doing games. And, and God bless him. He deserves the rest. But it would, it, to be able to hear him talk for a little while there, um, I don't know about you, but it made me feel better. All right, if you would like a chance to uh, have a virtual meet and greet with the Dan Lebitard Show crew, you can text Lebitard to 77333. You get a chance at ten grand plus a virtual meet and greet with the whole Dan Lebitard Show gang. Uh, advance your auto at Advance Auto Parts. Limit one entry per day. See AdvanceAutoParts.com for details. Uh, I was going to start picking some football games here with the rest of the time we have left, but I, I just I just don't feel like it. I, I'm I'm was just really happy to have that conversation, and I'm going to spend my last minute here of this week talking about that and the importance of this stuff, you know. And and so we sit here all the time and we think about you know does it really matter in sports? We all the things that are going on in the world. It's all so crazy and complicated, and it's a pandemic. And you know we lived without it for months, and you come back and we sit here and we quibble over all of the nonsense all of the time in sports. I mean, I don't mean the rest of it is nonsense. But we quibble over all, you know, over all the sports. But you know what? It's a good thing. It's a good thing to quibble over all the sports. Because sometimes in life, there is nothing better than investing absolutely everything you have into something that means absolutely nothing. And so that's what we'll continue to do here. Thank you, Vince Scully, for taking that time with us here and for making the world feel like a little bit of a better place. Thank you to all of you for spending this time with me. Have a wonderful weekend. There's a ton of sports to enjoy. And I'll see you back in Better Than Ever Monday. Greeny, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.